It's Jim, it's the World of Bonds. It's Wednesday the 22nd of February 2023. This is for professional investors only. Never ever investment advice. Now the good news is bad news again for asset prices anyway. Um, the S&P was down 2% yesterday and the 10 year US Treasury bond yield hit a year to date high of 3.96. So again, we've got this correlation uh, between risk-free assets and risky assets, which is not helpful for, for most investors who run kind of blended funds of bonds and equities and they're meant to move in other directions, or at least that's what we were taught uh, in our infancy. But nevertheless, um, US Treasury is up about 14 basis points on the day. And as I say, this was good news. It was strong economic numbers, and especially people focusing on the PMIs um, coming out of the States. PMI, Purchasing Managers Index. This is a diffusion index. So basically what they do is they ask private sector business managers, managers in both the service sector and manufacturing sectors, kind of yes or no type questions. For instance, are you planning to produce uh, more goods in the next quarter? Something like that. So are you planning to increase? Are you optimistic? Um, are you going to hire more people? Are you putting up prices? Those kinds of questions are put to, to managers um, and the resulting number is the balance of positive responses and negative or pessimistic responses. So um, therefore there's often been a, a pretty good correlation between a number above 50 which indicates that people are positive generally and that means economic growth is coming and below 50 where people are negative, pessimistic, uh, indicating a shrinking economy. So you know it's, it's been a good um, timely indicator of what businesses are planning to do um, and what they think about the world and you know, if businesses are pessimistic they're unlikely to hire people they're unlikely to buy some new machinery and those sorts of things so so it does it does feed through it's a fairly blunt tool there's kind of yes or no responses but as, as I say it's worked quite well and yesterday the US composite PMI which is the kind of combining responses from both manufacturing business managers and service sector business managers um, is back above 50 so it's at 50.2 which is much better than the market had expected and it's the first time it's been above 50 since June last year and good news as I say uh, but it also as I say, resulted in higher bond yields and people are now seeing more Fed hike expectations for the year as a result. Uh, as I say, there are slightly higher rates now priced in across the curve in 2023 and 2024. And credit is starting to weaken too. So it's not just equities down 2% yesterday. High yield had a, a, a poor session as well, continuing a, a run of uh, relatively poor sessions. So high yield CDX um, index, credit default swap index in the US is now out at nearly 470, having been just over 400 at the start of this month. Before we do get too carried away by these PMI results and the strength of the economy, here's Deutsche Bank's Jim Reid following on from some, a research piece he put out on the lags in monetary policy um, that came out yesterday. So lags, i.e. Uh, rate hikes take some time to feed through into the economy. Um, you may not see your mortgage reset until your one-year fix rolls off or uh, e even if you do have a kind of 
uh, completely variable rate loan and it goes up next month, it'll still take some time for that pain to feed through into economic activity. So lags are important in monetary policy in both directions. It takes a long time for rate cuts to feed through. It takes a while for rate hikes to feed through. You know, lots of people talking about 12 to 18 months being being the, the kind of normal lag that feeds through. So I'm going to quote from um, Jim's note, um, and he says, At this stage of a normal hiking cycle, we show that markets and economies are usually fairly benign. So don't confuse recent strength in data as a soft landing. It's not until year two onwards of the hiking cycle that pain normally starts to be felt. So the real test will be when the lag of monetary policy fully kicks in, as it should do over the next few quarters. By March, the ECB will likely have hiked 350 basis points in eight months and the Fed 475 basis points in 12 months. More hikes are likely to come too. So, you know, the, the lags are long and there's been a lot of hiking and that ought to result in a significant slowdown. Deutsche Bank uh, thought there'd be a, uh, a big recession this year. I think they've, they've moderated that a little bit given the strength of recent data. Um, so... Before we get too gloomy again on that Deutsche Bank piece, let's enjoy this moment and let's especially enjoy this moment in the United Kingdom because if there was a banker bet for a recession anywhere in the world this year, it was for the UK. Let's remember the IMF World Economic Forecasts that came out recently had only the UK and Russia amongst the developed economies experiencing recessions this year. Uh, and it, you know, it wasn't just the IMF, the UK's own government bodies and street economists here and in Wall Street all agreed that the UK was going to be a, an underperformer in 2023 and perhaps beyond. Why did people think it was going to be so bad? Well, energy prices take a higher share of people's income um, and are um, less capped there's less intervention in the pricing than in many european nations for instance in france where price caps are, are pretty significant and they have uh, cheaper unlimited um, nuclear power etc whereas we import a lot of gas um, and gas has been at the epicenter of what's been going on in the russia ukraine war to some extent so energy prices were expected to cause the UK to be in a bad place. High levels of mortgage interest payment feed through, through lots of variable rate mortgages, but particularly through lots of fixed rate mortgages that are maturing over this year and next. So relatively short dated fixed mortgages, one year, two years, or longer dated ones that roll into um, maturity this year. And also, uh, people were expecting a degree of new austerity, higher taxes, following a kind of reversal of some of the things that went on in September's Trussonomics episode. So Jeremy Hunt took away some of the punch from the punch bowl and um, did went even further than that to some extent. And finally, of course, Brexit, which has reduced the UK's potential growth rate. I think a final headwind that people have been talking about in recent months has been health-related or lifestyle-related, and that's a shrinking of the UK labour force, especially in that 50-plus cohort. Again, a mixture of poor health outcomes, thanks to waiting lists in the National Health Service, long COVID, things like that, but also people perhaps realising that higher asset prices um, thanks to QE, for instance, um, haven't allowed them to take earlier retirement. Or perhaps they enjoyed flexible working and getting used to, to you know, being at home more. 
in any case, um, people have been quite bearish about the UK, but just as the US PMIs yesterday were strong, so were those in the UK. And the composite here, um, which in January had been 48.5, indicating contraction, jumped to 53. And people had expected a slight increase to 49, but 53 was a big, big jump. And that's the first time above 50 in about seven months. The other positive came with a shop rise in um, tax receipts in January. Public sector borrowing, um, we always have a surplus in January because that is when tax bills are due for self-assessment payers. Um, and it wasn't the, the best surplus we've seen for January, but the self-assessment tax receipts on their own were the highest we've seen since 1999. I haven't got my head round why that could possibly be the case at the moment but looking into that one also higher capital gains tax receipts uh, thanks to buoyant markets um so the you know every, all, all the tax bits of it are tracking strongly we're still spending more than we expected um generally on the spending side of the equation but the tax receipts are better than expected so the overall surplus fairly modest but much better than the market had anticipated. So two-year gilt yields uh, re reflecting the good news from the UK yesterday. They're up 18 basis points. The pound was very, very strong uh, as well against major trading partners. And of course, better tax revenues, lower government borrowing than expected. And again, the other factor on that is of course lower natural gas prices meaning less energy support gives the Chancellor of the Exchequer ahead of next month's budget um, more to play with and I think we're seeing that not just around talk about the budget but today's news if you're listening to the radio about possible breakthroughs in public sector strikes so nurses are likely to get a pay settlement today so there is more money in the coffers than people would perhaps thought there would be and that means that maybe the kind of negative, gloomy, constant perma-strike world that we've lived in in the UK for a while might uh, might be drawing to an end, and all of these things will contribute to um, ending this kind of specific UK factors that have been with us for, for a while through the Boris Johnson, Liz Trust government, maybe we're coming out the other side, and good news for the government, uh, and Sunak in particular, as we head towards a general election, if he can get away with um, changing the narrative for the UK somewhat. And finish with one bit of news on index link bonds, because I only, I only spotted this um, a couple of days ago that Canada has killed its inflation-linked bond program. So Canada was one of the, one of the most important inflation-linked bond markets in the world. Uh, they kind of designed the way that index-linked bonds um, operate. The UK had its own index-linked bond program, but it had an arcane way of calculating the lags around inflation numbers. Canada was kind of the model that everyone follows uh, in order to designing their inflation-linked bonds. So they've been, um, uh, they've been one of the most important markets, but uh, they've scrapped it. And I guess um, you know, we're seeing that this is probably a response um, to high levels of inflation that we're seeing. In inflation-linked bonds are expensive to operate. They, uh, if you look at UK, as we talked about earlier, the borrowing numbers, a big chunk of why they haven't improved even further is that we're paying huge amount on our huge inflation-linked bond outstanding 
if inflation is running at 10%, you know, compared to the zero coupons that you got on conventional bonds, the coupons effectively are paying out um, 10% or 8%. 7%, you know, really high numbers for inflation links. So Canada decided it's an expensive program to operate. Why do people have inflation linked programs? Well, partly it's the fact that over the past 30 years, inflation has under-delivered. Effectively, inflation rates have been below what the market thought they would be. So it's been cheap borrowing. Um, and, and it's also historically been thought to send out a message of credibility. If you've got lots of inflation linked bonds outstanding, you're not going to tolerate high levels of inflation for the reasons that the UK is suffering at, at the moment. Having said that, uh, the UK really isn't responsible for the high levels of inflation that's, that's suffering. So that credibility point is a bit moot there. Nevertheless, interesting that Canada has scrapped that programme um, and we'll see what other um, debt management offices do. Right, cheers.